gets you going. <laughs> it gets you moving. Hey! Hello, everyone. Welcome to the game, the Diaries. I'm Miss Harvey. And I'm Michelle Morrow. Uh, how are you, Steph? How was your week? I'm great. Uh, very stressed with life, as usual. Didn't you um, launch a clothing brand? Yeah, might have launched a clothing brand a couple hours ago. <laughs> Just a few hours ago, just a few short hours ago. It's kind of a big deal. It looks really good. The video looks great. Thanks. Uh, I'm wearing, for those who are watching on YouTube, I'm wearing one of the piece from Elevate, Love which is it. the new clothing brand. Uh, I'm excited. And that's why today, Michelle, I'm treating myself on the show. Um, I'm opening this little <laughs> bottle of wine, but I, oops, I don't drink. <laughs> I don't drink anymore. So this is a zero alcohol bottle of wine. And I wanted to, no to show you. No alcohol. Wow. I've been sober good. since uh, January 8th. Actually, I was, I was with Danny, our producer, the day I stopped drinking. So Was there anything in particular that made you stop? Or did you, yeah. did you drink very much? I, I think that I, I didn't know how to say to stop. So I don't, I'm not mm -hmm. like someone that drinks. Um, so let's go deep into this, Michelle. There, there, I think there's I'm different, curious. different kind of alcoholism. I think mine was, mm -hmm. um, was for me, alcoholism for, sh for sure. Nobody would have told me that it was cause it, I didn't seem like an alcoholic, but for me, uh, what it is, is that I can't stop after I get the first drink, yeah. then I'm party girl all night long until I until, until like I pass out right so um so yeah it was uh the on January 7th I was in New York by myself for Madison Square Garden I went to see a New York Rangers game came back to the hotel and I stopped at the bar by myself and I started having fun with the people at the bar um of the hotel and I went to bed at like 4 a.m. and I missed my flight to go oh, back no. home. And um, usually it doesn't matter, but this time it was because uh, we were going to a cabin with with the, all of the friends and I got there like super late and mm. it was a mess. Somebody had to like drive me there after. So I, the whole thing was like, mm. I don't want to be in that station ever again. Yeah. So it's hard because it's like it you you start realizing how much control you've lost in the situation. I lost control. And, and you know, they it really, really happened. But when it happened, I did not like it. And I forgot everything that happened the night before. I don't remember anything. Uh, so the, the story I told you is all I remember. That's it. Wow. Um, well, yeah. good for you for making that decision. That's a hard decision to make. It's like, you know, and it's not easy to always follow through with. Like, I have a lot of friends who are alcoholics and, you know, it... It is it's really a, hard. It can be a real struggle. So good for you for Thanks. doing it. This is the second time in my life I completely stopped drinking. The first time it was two years and this we're going close to a year and I'm super happy to be launching Elevate uh, yeah. with you. So we I launched wish I had it some, today. Some, some non-alcoholic bubbly here, but I don't have, I have water. So I, we'll just pretend. Enough. It's good we'll enough. You're going to see, so again, for those watching with the video, you're going to see my teeth still become um, uh, tinted from the wine, just like as if it was <laughs> real wine. And to be quite frank, Michelle, it gives me the same feeling. Like you pop that bottle, mm -hmm. you drink it, you're feeling great. Like yeah. everything is kind of the same. 
Just without all of the negative side effects. Exactly. Yeah. Tomorrow morning, I'll feel great. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy for you. I love the um, design on that shirt, too. I'm going to have to get you. one. I love the, um, is it like Thank a crushed velvet? What is that? Yeah, it's like, um, it's super shiny. Uh, it's super, like for you in LA, you're going to love to wear it um, in the summer. Oh, yeah? Like, it's definitely a summer hoodie. Um, it goes through a little bit, like the wind. So you feel like it's breathing. Oh, nice. <sighs> so yeah. I like it. It was supposed awesome. to be a, a summer collection, and uh, it took way too long. And I decided to just ship it anyway. So here we you. are. Thank you. Thank you. So it's just called Elevate? Elevate for um, Elevate in French means elevate. And uh, because it's spelled E-R at the end, I didn't want people to pronounce it like El Oliver, like Elever, because I don't oh. find that cute at all. So I was like, how could we make sure that people pronounce it Elevé the right way? And I was right. like, oh my God, Miss Harvey. So oh, yeah. it's it's the last end of my name with Elevate. Uh, so. That's really cute. I love it. Me too. I was like, Exciting. when we figured it out, I was like, this is it finally. And it took me, Michelle, to create my clothing line, it took me years to find the name. I'm telling you. Really? Years. Was that the hardest part? That was the hardest part. Yeah. I, I've i been talking about this for years. I just couldn't find the right fit. And here we are. What like <laughs> what like set it off? And you were like, this is it. This is the name. Um, I'm working with a company called Represent. And they... Uh, they were brainstorming names for me because they really want this, wanted this to happen. And they decided that with everything that represents me, it should be elevate, like elever, like uh, the French version. And I'm like, nah, like, like for many reasons. Yeah. Also, it's not Googleable. It's like, ugh. and then it clicked me one, one morning I woke up and I'm like, what if I use their idea with this RV? It's really cool. Yeah, I love it. That's, <laughs> Thank you. that's awesome. I, I heard something happen with you too today. Another crazy day for both of us. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there was, uh, well, last night, my husband and I went to our backyard and we're just hanging out, like having a nice backyard night. And we look up and there's a giant string of Christmas lights that is like draped over like the highest point of our telephone wires or like the power <laughs> wires to the house. And there's... No way anyone could have thrown it up there. We only have one neighbor. And even then they're like further off on the hill. There's no way this could have happened. So we had to call like the emergency, like department of water and power to have them come out here and like hike up this crazy steep hill to try to like pull down this string of lights. And what they think happened was it must've been like in a tree somewhere. And then the bird flew out and like got it stuck and then dropped it like over our house. It just happened to be like, he may have flown through the lines and it just got, it was like a super long, I don't know, like a hundred feet I'm wire, copper laughing. wire. I can crazy. only imagine the bird flying and people yeah. looking at the bird, like the bird has a Christmas tree line following. Like that's all I can see. Like this really, like, whatever, this I really like our security movie. Yeah. <laughs> Or there's a bird that's like you see this really bad CGI of <laughs> just a little like yeah, and people are like, what is that bird trying to say? 
What yeah. does it want? Yeah. It's like a sign. It's 2020. And What's then, happening? Exactly. And then it jumps yeah. into the house of the protagonist. And then the movie starts like that, you know? Yeah. It's like... <laughs> It was probably, we have these big crows think of. huge crows that hang out in our yard. Like they, they like, they're, they're friends, they're friendly crows and they hang out up there. And I'm wondering, like, I mean, it would have to be a big bird to have grabbed this. I tried yeah. to look on all of our security footage, like all day being like, I need to see how this happened. <laughs> like, I Wait, need to know. Can you see it on the camera when it's now when it's like, there? It cuts it out like right before. Uh. So I was waiting to see, like, maybe I'll see it fly into the screen. <laughs> <laughs> like, I spent way too much time doing this. Oh my God. When I have mm. a house, I'm definitely buying security cameras. I think that's. Oh my God. So cool. I'm they suspecting, get so exciting to watch. <laughs> we're suspecting our neighbor across us to have like a security camera on his balcony, but we're not sure. Oh. But it's like looking at us. Like it's straight up looking at. So right now when I'm sitting here, uh, my window is right in front of me and his camera is looking at me. Th that's what we're thinking. Because we can't figure out what Maybe it he's is. doing a stream of your stream <laughs> streaming. <laughs> that's so Yeah. <laughs> he's just like. His own like We're real life right Twitch now. streamer, but what if <laughs> there's what an if, alternate universe where this is happening? That he's actually happening, and oh, yeah. and right now he's watching us. Like, oh, I got, I got caught, I got caught. Yeah, yeah. Or he's like living for the thrill of like getting caught. Like yeah. that's that's what he likes. <laughs> yeah, that's not Have good. You, that's not good. I'll, I'll keep you guys updated. <laughs> Have you been gaming or watching any shows, Michelle? Uh, well, speaking of crows, I did actually get to the episode of Shit's Creek where Moira oh, like pretends yes! she pretends like she's a crow, you guys. And I that voice that comes out of her, I filmed. I just like took my phone up and started filming it and like texted it to like five friends and was like, "What is happening?" Her voice, she's so funny. Yeah, yeah. So I watched. We watched a bunch of Shit's Creek and uh, the Great British Baking Show. I've been really oh. into. Yeah, it's so calming. It's just very nice and very British. And everyone is very supportive. And like the, <laughs> the competitors aren't like at each other's throats. They're just like really Wait, nice to each other. Wait, is that a spinoff of the Canadian version? Great British Baking Show. That's what I'm watching. The Great Canadian Baking Show is a spinoff. It is an adaptation of the UK series. Oh, damn. All right. So interesting. Because uh, Jason, the agent, keeps telling me that great canadian baking show is amazing so it's now, so fun now i'll watch well, the british version of it and the british first. version and it's like it's just calming i'm sure the canadian version is the same way but it's just yeah, like yeah. light music and you let's know, just think just... he said smoke something before you watch that because you'll be like hey no you're just gonna want food i'm gonna tell you i did that and it, it was all like sweets and my husband like I'm not even joking. Everyone's going to be like, are you kidding me? He uh, caramelized some pears and made whipped cream for me. Wow. We have I good know. men. We have a good man. That's true. Uh, yep, yep, yep. He's going to cook a little bit too for Thanksgiving. Are you guys? Oh, wait. Oh. You have Canadian Thanksgiving. It's different it's, for you. It's a month You guys ago. already did that. Yeah. Did you guys cook or anything? No, because uh, in Quebec, you don't really celebrate it. Um, uh -huh. You kind of do, but not really. Like yeah. we're just happy we're off. <laughs> so we, we like, honestly, we forgot. I forgot. I don't have holidays, first of all. And uh, we kind of forgot. But um, our friends are in English Canada celebrated it. Yeah. Well, I 
here it's going to be crazy. California just got like a whole new lockdown order as of tonight. This is Saturday night that we're filming this. So it's going to be interesting this week with Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm very curious to see if I really hope people just stay in. Just just take it as an opportunity to play video games all day. You don't have to see family and argue with them about politics. And instead, you can just stay home and play some games. Have you guys been playing any games this week? Obviously. But what have you, what have you played? Um, yes. So... Max has been playing Spider-Man, so I, I kind of oh, yeah. watched him do it twice. And I think I told you, right, about the PS5. Uh, mm -hmm. I finally finished um, the Astro Playroom little game that comes with the oh. console. And okay. I started Crash Bandicoot 2. No way! Or, Is yeah. it fun? Yeah, because it was free on the PlayStation, and uh, I just started playing it. I never played it. I never really played Crash Bandicoot. And I, yeah, it's fun. I just... Just want to relax in the living room. It's my way of de-stressing these days. Um, between all the craziness of just like two minutes, I play like for like 20 and I go back into a meeting. Um, yeah. Because I realized we never, I don't know if it's like that for you, but I never, we never stop. I never stop. No, never. So it's back to back to back. And if I was in an office, that wouldn't fly. Like I would stand up nope. and like do something else sometimes. But ah, la, 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 la. The same way. Michelle. Stephanie, we uh, we never really recapped on having our first guest on the show. That's true. We didn't. It was that was really special. It was Becky really is super fun. cool. It was really fun. And, and we have another one scheduled. Um, so we should hopefully we do see talk to DG Wheat. Uh, yes, we're yeah. waiting for we're waiting for him to uh, get back on schedule. But he is going to come on. Um, I don't know, like maybe we can figure out how to get a hold of Will Wright. Who knows? Yeah, um, who knows? <laughs> uh, it looks like it looks like Jane saw the podcast because uh, Super Butter, her game, uh, tweeted out the podcast, which was really nice. I freaked out when you told me that, yeah. especially because the quote said like that. I'm she's my uh, I'm her. yeah she's my idol. Yeah, like that. And I was yeah. just like, oh no, she saw that. I'm so shy now. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so exciting. I, I love it. Um, I, I was reading more about her major uh, after you were telling me about it with performance studies. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool major. It like, it's it goes beyond like, um, it's more like research based than like mm -hmm. acting, like mm -hmm. actually doing something. Like it, it's it's like I kind of wish I would have known about that major when I was in college. It sounds mm -hmm. fascinating, but yeah, she's. I, She's love cool. research like that. I got I got accepted in research uh, in video game uh, to to create like a paper and whatnot. And I decided to go work to Ubisoft instead. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, oh, should I do it on the side? And then I'm like, I can barely sleep or go to bed or spend time with my dog. So maybe, maybe dog. for another another life. You will. You'll come back. You're gonna yeah. do it again at some point. I know it. Okay. I believe it. So let's take a quick 30 seconds break and then let's jump back into your story, Michelle. I'm Mine. super excited. All yes. Right. Okay. Be right back, guys.
you right. nervous? A little bit. <laughs> I'm always, it's nerve wracking to I know. do this. It's like, it's exciting and I want to share and I want to like do, but then I'm, oh my God, it's so scary. Um, but yeah, last week's episode really kind of like got me thinking about all of the kick-ass women that we have in gaming, you mm -hmm. know, like we're, we've covered a couple of them here on the podcast already from like Becky to Jane. And I don't know. I just think that we are really lucky. It just made me be really grateful, um, for how many amazing ladies like we actually have in gaming. And it's really grown to be, uh, like a much more supportive place for women than it used to be, you know, even just from like five years ago. Yeah. I would oh say. my God. Don't it's, you think? Yes. I think that it's mind blowing how different it is, right? We, we can have these discussion now and we want more back in the days. It was just like, we don't want to hear about you crying that there's no women in here, you know? They, yeah. They so. just are. It's, it's like, it was like noise <laughs> and nobody wants yeah. to hear it. But now it feels like women in gaming work really hard to help other women in gaming. Yeah. Out. Like that's, that's what for me has been really exciting to see because both in like my entertainment career and in my gaming career, there's historically been a scarcity of roles. So uh, women have very few opportunities to like get jobs or be cast. And it unfortunately mm -hmm. kind of leads to um, competition between women that should otherwise like be friends. I mean, it's happened to me before where yeah. like I felt like, you know, a, a job ended up becoming an obstacle in a friendship because so many women wanted that role. Um, and that's happened. It happens in gaming all the time and in, in Hollywood all the time, but I think it's gotten better. And I think a lot of it is due to just the sheer number of women that we, that we now have in gaming. Um, but it's also because there's a younger generation of girls, um, that are just exceeding expectations. And, Honestly, like they're all such a great example of merit and for speaking up for women in general. Um, and I'm just really impressed with like this younger generation of women and it's a male dominated scene and we all know that, but there is more women and the way that these women are opening it up is really inspiring to me personally. Um, so this week I want to talk about a younger woman in gaming who's stepping into life as a public figure and a leader in the gaming space, not just for women, but with like a, cons like a competitive spirit uh, that can inspire pretty much anyone and any competitor really. I met her on one of the most important days of her life, of, well, of her career that is. And for me, it was one of my most memorable moments in all of esports and all of gaming. I love the story. I've told it so many times. But first, yeah, I kind of want to set the stage. I'm not going to okay, okay, okay. I kind of want to set the stage for what she walked into of like what scene she's in here. So did you ever play fighting games? Yes. You did? Which games yeah. did you play? What were so you? So I kind of your... was really into Street Fighter 4 and 5. Like I went to Evo. You know Evo, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I went to Evo six times. What? Uh, I did yes. not know this about you. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I love the FGC. Six years. Really? Uh, yes. My first one was in 2000, either 13 or 14, and then I went every single year since. No way. So what are, yeah. you, so what are you playing? Street Fighter. <laughs> so you're playing Street Fighter, and who do you? What character do you play? Uh, so I used to play Ryu. 
uh, just because he's kind of the base that I learned with and also because I never really went any further in my progress. So I yeah. suck, but I love it so much that even when I get there, I enter the tournament. So <laughs> do you, do you place at all? No, I lose out. I'm, I'm zero two every year. <laughs> But I don't practice, Michelle. I go there and I'm like, yeah, I remember last year I was able to do this combo. Okay, so works. <laughs> this is the thing about fighting games. Like, this is what I, I love, love about it. it. Because people who just play the games get inspired to actually compete. Like, yeah. you know, who who you might not be like the number one player, but there's like, I don't know, there's a lot of open entry. There's a lot of like, there's just less barriers in the way to be able to go do that. It's so fun. Like, <laughs> That's so cool. I had no idea about like you blow my mind. Um, when I was growing up, um, you know, there was there was Smash on the N sixty four. Yeah. But but that didn't come out until I was in college. So I would see people playing in like dorm rooms and stuff. But when I was a kid, uh, like fighting games didn't become big until like late eighties in the arcades, like eighty nine, and then like early nineties for like Street Fighter, and it was you know, to me, fighting games felt more like we didn't have, we didn't have fighting games at our house. Like we just didn't own any of the fighting games at all, ever on any of our consoles. It felt more like something you went to go do in public. It felt like something that like you went to Chuck E. Cheese and you're in an arcade and all your friends are around and there's like an impromptu tournament suddenly. And that was the feeling of, uh, of Street Fighter and of fighting games in general, just like getting a crowd, kids challenging each other and holding tournaments. So, you know, fighting games sort of like inherently bring out the competitors in us. Like visually, it's something that we understand. It's a 1v1, hand-to-hand, -hand, close combat, punching, uh -huh. hit, hitting, kicking and stuff. And it's like what we've seen on television and in movies and on the streets. And it's like, whether we like it or not, fighting is something that's just innate to us. And even if you aren't a violent person, it's just something that we've evolved from. So even if someone doesn't know how to play a, a fighting game at all, if they don't know the rules whatsoever, the barrier to entry is really low is really low to to watch the tournament because you can easily identify that it's a fight and you really only need to be aware of the health bars. So you can tell like this person's winning versus this person. Yeah, for easy sure. to follow, fun to watch. Um, you know, and the audience doesn't need to know what combo you just pulled off to be entertained. They just get like a crazy badass visual and that's all they really need. Um, where like in other genres like MOBAs and even FPS, you really need to have a better understanding of the user interface that gives you like little clues of like a map or a mini map or what the objective is. Like you, there's so many things that you kind of have to know, like hero kits. Rocket League is also in that easy understanding. Like my parents love Rocket mm -hmm. League and fighting games. <laughs> this so, is because of they're of like, course. oh, it's Rocket League. And they just sit and they watch. Car they soccer. Understand. <laughs> yeah. Car soccer is simple. I get car soccer. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yep. true though. Yeah. It's like, and that's why, you know, like, you know, 2K is as well with, or, you know, EA and 2K, both of them do well yeah, with yeah, yeah, fighting yeah. games or with uh, sports games. Sports it's game, just yeah. easy to like, it's just easy to understand. So as kids, like we didn't know what we were doing, you know, at all. But by the time that I got to college, um, you know, in the, like the mid 90s, um, 
I saw competition increase uh, because like mini tournaments were popping up in dorm rooms and people were having access to like message boards and we're starting to like understand strats from other people. And like you would see little little tournaments pop up in dorm rooms all the time, like or at house parties and stuff. Um, so the fighting game community or the FGC for people out there who might not be like as aware of the term, um, it it was really just first taking shape in the mid nineties. Like that's when it got big. And for maybe some of you guys even less familiar, it refers fighting game community, the FGC, all it means is a group of people who love to play fighting games. Like that's their, that's their deal. They love it. And historically people who identify as part of the FGC, they go to local tournaments. They get to know people directly in their communities. And many yeah. of them actually try their hand at competition, like Miss Harvey did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially because the online version of fighting games for so long, even now, some games, uh, you know, when you're thinking about there's 60 frames per second, and y you know, these pros are actually like a couple frames um, playing with their, their opponents, right? Like uh, that. A one second lag is already enough to to not allow you to create the combo you're supposed to. So most of the pros before COVID were looking forward to like land play, right? right. COVID was actually is actually hurting the fighting game community probably the right. most than any other scene. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't even think about it like that, but you're completely right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's kind of like that grassroots culture of it makes it really susceptible to you know, an outside influence like that kind of shutting down the scene. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. Because like, that's kind of how the fighting game community like got its identity was by putting on like these just naturally forming tournaments yeah. um, all through the mid nineties. And with the success of Street Fighter 2, um, you know, there weren't really like big tournaments yet. They were just like local arcades, mostly in like New York and California and Chicago. Like those were like kind of the hotbeds for it. Once like the message boards came around, there were a couple like really confident shit talkers <laughs> that got on the message boards and were, were talking in the region of California. So it was like these Northern California players and these Southern California players. And they start, they get connected and they just started like, text trash talking each other, you know, pre-internet about which region was best at Street Fighter 2. And this arguing between this group led to a player organized tournament called Battle of the Bays, which later became known as Evo, which you were talking ah. about earlier. So um, Evo, for people who don't know, has been, um, it's like the biggest fighting game tournament in the world. And last year it attracted over 14,000 players across 10 fighting games from over 60 countries held at the Mandalay Bay. So it started off as four dudes doing text-based smack talk, you know, disagreeing about strats, turned into the blueprint for what a larger scale fighting game tournament would look like, eventually being held in the same ring as real life fighters, because Mandalay Bay is known for its boxing tournaments. And because these were like young dudes making the rules, the tournaments were often rowdy, much like, you know, at a real boxing match. And it always stayed that way. And fighting games, fighting games are so fun. They are so fun to like <laughs> be in the audience. Like I suck at fighting games. Me I am no too. good at it. I'm so bad. <laughs> Oh my God, but they're so much fun to be a part of. Like it's crazy and loud and people are in chairs and the audience is involved. And like, it is, 
completely different yeah. experience than going to like, you know, a regular, you know, a typical esports event. Um, I love that you played. I wish that I'm going to watch you play now. I'm going to look. No for you way. Again. I'm so bad. You I got zero sure. too. There's nothing to watch. I'm like <laughs> pressing buttons. I almost won a game once. Um, so really? there's that. <laughs> yeah. When I, almost the first, one time. The first two years, I was a little more intense. I was actually like kind of playing it at home a lot with my friends in local bars. But yeah. That's so oh, fun. Well. I would never mm -hmm. have the guts to. I mean, the only like quote fighting game i've played is not a really a fighting game at all it's just it's called nidhog and it's like uh, two people on the screen that oh are yeah 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 that's, that's so like, fun i'm good at that game i'm good at that game but this where you have to know combos and stuff my brain just falls right out like i can't do it but i i love watching other people do it and over the last decade um Big team esports franchises have added fighting game players to their rosters. Yeah, we do. I think we, CLG we, does, right? We have three Smash, so one two melee, one ultimate. Um, yeah, and we're super proud of them. We've had it for five years, um, so yeah, it's it's been quite awesome to have them. I love it, and like, um, and it really helps the FGC. It helps players like be able to like fund everything a lot. More, yeah, like actually be able to afford to go to tournaments, um, but. Interestingly, even though esports teams have accepted the FGC and signed players onto the teams, the FGC tends to reject the term esports. Like part of it is a cultural thing, like what I was talking about with, you know, with like the rowdiness of it. Like there's a lot of people who are super afraid that once, you know, big money comes in, it'll drain up. There was a Penny Arcade article about this subject a few years ago called Why the Fighting Game Community Hates the Word Esports. And it details like the long history of the players and the crowd being invested and involved and excited. And that if the corporations come in, they're going to pour money in the scene and ask everyone to stop. And like the loud and wild culture of the tournaments will get put to an end. You know, in this article says the shouting, the intimidation of playing right next to your opponent, the feeling of being part of an unrestricted, unrestrained, underground grassroots community is what makes the FGC great. And it makes sense. Like big companies uh, that come in, they're going to want to have best behavior in exchange for bigger money. And they have, you know, shown over the years, too, uh, that they care more about the marketability of the game um, than over the actual player base and like what their opinions are. So culture is definitely one factor of it, um, but there's also a socioeconomic um, one with race as well. So the FGC is a flourishing example of diversity in esports, yes. uh, where the many one. of yeah and, yeah, and many of the pros are black, while the rest of esports is pretty much filled predominantly with white or Asian males. Um, and fighting games are typically played on consoles. So they're much more affordable than the high-end gaming PCs that are usually associated with like the majority of pro-level esports. Um, there was an article by Latoya Peterson in The Undefeated uh, that, that was titled, um, Why Aren't More Black Kids Going Pro in Esports? And it points out the PC console divide has inadvertently become a racial divide, while white and Asian players feature 
more heavily on the PC side and the African-American and Latino players on the other. And she goes on to point out that if a player loves Dota, there's a sponsored path toward a career in the industry and a potential to net up to 10 million in the current prize pool. But if a player loves and put his or her hours into Street Fighter, at best, the highest individual take would be closer to 50,000. So that's just an overview of the FGC. It's a diverse community. It's run on local grassroots. Um, it's highly competitive. It's a lot of fun. And with an understandable um, distrust of an industry that consistently underfunds um, and ignores console gaming and is therefore ignoring Black and Latino gamers at large. But at the same time, the FGC kind of stands as a beacon for young black gamers. And uh, writer Xavier Johnson in an article for Medium titled, There's a Racial Gap in Esports, he points out in the FGC, gamers compete against people from their own neighborhoods. So a young black gamer will go to a tournament and see plenty of people that look like them, which brings a level of comfort to gamers entering the space and seeing people that look like them succeed. And this mostly applies to black men though, because Women of all races are still like unicorns in the competitive gaming scene. And so I guess I'm calling you a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> we are unicorns. I think that we're probably white horses now, you know? Yeah. So we're starting to be more like white horses. There's more and more of us. So we're not as, as rare, but right. as on the winning side and, and at the top of their scene, then yeah, they're still unicorns. So as we know, it's rare uh, to see women in general represented in esports, and it's even more rare for black women to be seen. Um, there's a great article on this that I read on a site called Ozzy, O-Z-Y, and it talks about the disparity um, in the gaming industry at large, um, so people who work in the industry. Um, and while just under 30% are women of all races, black women are only 1% represented. Noting the double disadvantage of race and gender, the article points out, it's little surprise then that none of the world's top 20 earning female gamers are black. It goes on to talk about the younger generation of women that I talked about earlier that are carving out space for others like themselves by building out a network of support that never existed before. Um, it's facilitating and encouraging and training aspiring female gamers of color to reach new heights in gaming. And one of those women is a 26-year-old pro gamer named Janelle Carter, also known in the FGC as Cuddlecore. Oh, she probably heard of Cuddlecore. Cuddlecore. Well, the only reason I have is because of you. You told me mm -hmm. about how amazing she was. Um, but that's it. I don't know much more than, than she beats guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good that's amazing. That's a good description of her, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. She's a badass, man. Like more people should know about her. Um, all right. So here's the thing. Uh, in 1994, Cuddlecore was born um, at about the same time as the FGC. The FGC was kind of just getting going in like 94 or 95. And so she was born at the same time. She grew up uh, just outside Chicago, which was one of the three hotbeds that we talked about for the FGC. It was California, New York, yeah. and um, specifically in Chicago. So it sounds like from every interview that she's given, it sounds like she has a really lovely family with two sisters and really supportive parent. She did an interview with Tekken Gamer a couple years ago and seemed to really love the neighborhood that she grew up in. She said that her parents moved to the suburbs uh, because of how poor the school system was becoming, just so they could ensure that their kids got a solid education. Oh, so wow. So I love that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just goes to show how important it is, you know, in a child child's development to have, you know, really involved and supportive parents. She's mentioned in a few interviews that there weren't a lot of other black people in the area and that sometimes she felt out of place. And um, a lot of the people that she was around hadn't ever really seen many black people before. Um, oh, but wow. she credits her parents for teaching her to strive for excellence no matter who is present, um, just to prove the stereotypes wrong. That's what they've told her. Um, she also did an interview uh, for the World Showdown of Esports Tournament series, saying some of the prejudice that she experienced was sometimes from, quote, my own people because I didn't sound a certain way. They would say I sounded more right, white. It made it harder for me to connect even with some people in my own family. It was as if being eloquent was something black people couldn't be. So that's a lot for a young girl to be confronted with and to be taking on. There's like so much worrying and trauma centered around appearances in your teenage years as it is to be dealing, you know, with the confusing realities of, you know, racism and, you know, perception. Mm -hmm. Um, But her parents were huge influences on how she moved through her life with determination, respect, and diligence. Her dad was actually the one who got her into gaming. Her original gaming memories actually center um, on the very first Tekken game. That's the game that she played, and she can remember as early as, like, four to, like, seven years old, just, like, mashing buttons with her dad, you know, like, playing Miss Harvey style. She's just mashing (laughs) buttons, like, being, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or my style <laughs> it's probably more my style she probably so does is, actual combos so she's a Tekken player okay she's for a Tekken whatever player. reason I taught she played Mortal Kombat so oh, okay I don't know why I mean, I'm sure she has um but Tekken is her game Tekken is her and, game perfect yeah and she has like all these really fond memories of playing with her dad as a kid and like being really into it um and she did this interview with um top tier of this guy born free top tier and she recalls crying when she lost and like to her dad and her dad would say to her why are you crying learn how to get good so you can beat me get good get good (laughs) daughter your dad is like yeah play gifts and he's like get good (laughs) beat me i love crying just get good yeah (laughs) and um you know she said that actually like having that family competition ended up making her play more Tekken and Uh she learned the whole move list and she older that she got um she really started to appreciate the depth um of the game where you know when she picked up Tekken 6 when that came out she realized that she could learn controls and combos and spacing and patience and awareness of the gameplay that really takes to be a top competitor in the FGC and at 15 she beat her dad three times in a row. Uh, and her victory over him uh, made her want to play the game even more and to see how much better she could get. And it sparked inside of her what she called a true calling to be highly competitive. And, it, and she got pretty addicted to playing online, uh, as she recalls, um, against other players. And she said, when I would lose, I was like, okay, I need to find out why I lost so that she would lose and just train more. It made her even hungrier to compete um, and become better and better and better. But I think that's kind of like what true competitors really do. I mean, that's probably something you can really relate to is trying to figure out where you went wrong and correct that. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, 
there's a frustration that you need to learn how to embrace it in a positive way that's really difficult. Uh, but lose when you're a competitor, losing is the worst thing in the world. It's yeah. the worst. And you always feel like I never want to feel that way again. Like I need to practice more to never be in that position. But unfortunately, every competitor is going to be in that position again at some point. And then you're yeah. the same. You're like, I never want to be in that position again. I want to work harder. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's what it takes in order to do it because it's so hard to lose that if you don't know how to lose and get better, then you can't ever really be a competitor. Yeah. You kind of like need to know how to do that. So the fire of competition is lit inside of her as a teenager. And she's playing other games at this time, too. She's playing Soul Calibur and adventure games and horror games and um, DDR, Dance Dance Ooh, Revolution. Let's um, go. Which is actually the origin of um, her gamer tag. Um, her favorite song from DDR was uh, Murmur Twins. Uh, but there was a remix version of it called the Cuddlecore Remix. And it made Cuddlecore rethink her gamer tag. So she said, this is going to be my new gamer tag because it sounds sweet and serious at the same time. Um, and I love that her gamer game, her gamer take came um, from music. That's yeah, so cool. That I don't know that song really cool. though. Me neither. And it's funny, I changed my tag once in my life and it was it was for music too. And I came back to Miss Harvey. Um, what is, is Miss Harvey just like, I mean, obviously it's your last name. Yeah. Did, like, but, and, and then I had the variation miss? like Harvey, V, and then Yevra, Miss Harvey backward, you know. Um, and it's just my, oh, my cool. uh, it's a long story. We can get into it maybe another time. <laughs> but I was called Shinoda for like six months. And really? It's, yeah. It's Shinoda. the... It's the Linkin Park second singer, right? There's uh, oh, okay. Unfortunately, uh, Chester, who's yeah. now uh, in a better world, hopefully, and then um, Shinoda is the counterpart. So he's the one that wrote all the music, that did oh, the wow. rap. I don't That's know why cool. at the time I like Shinoda more than Chester, because because I really like Chester now. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I yeah love so that. go, go us, go Karakor. I like yes, it. Cuddlecore. Yeah, it's just really it's, cool. and, and she was like, you know, what rolls off the tongue? And like, she just really like loved that name. And it's a memorable one for sure. So, um, but out of all the games uh, that she's playing, uh, Tekken truly emerged as her, her absolute okay. favorite. She loved the characters. And if you've never played Tekken before, think of the characters like a soap opera. There's um, yeah. a... It, it is very soap opera-y and like pro wrestling. Um, oh my God, it is so a good explanation of what Tekken is. Yeah, there's, there's this Guardian article that I found actually and that was from earlier this year and they totally explained it best. They said, um, like any soap opera or pro wrestling storyline, Tekken exists on the principle of in medias res, a universe where stories are never ending and never beginning and the viewers expected to either catch up on or ignore whatever they don't understand. All the characters in the game are on their own hero's journey and each one of them has a unique story and they've all got drama and beef together. Like all yeah. of them. And like, like no one's showing up in the Iron Fist tournament like just cause like, it, like people have like vendettas and like issues. They gotta like talk to somebody. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> Tekken like might not be as famous as Street Fighter, for example, um, but where like Street Fighter was a big like arcade pop culture, like Nintendo kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Tekken was a PlayStation one game. Um, 
And Street Fighter, Street Fighter, while for all of its wonderful things uh, in the world of gaming and being so influential to games in, in general, it's probably a little bit more on the generic side comparatively to Tekken, which is just has storylines and characters that are just a little bit more like special and weird and interesting. It's just such a fun game to play and to watch. Um, so in her teenage years, Cuddle, she's learning skill and patience and you know, as a player, um, she tells Tekken Gamer that at 18, um, she finally first got exposure to what real Tekken players were supposed to look like. Um, she says a friend got her links of videos to Tekken tournaments, and she also learned about all these other high-level Tekken players, which motivated her to get more involved in the scene. Uh, so she started asking more experienced players for advice and um, like which moves were vital for her chosen character, which is um, Alyssa. And one of the pro players, Little Mansion, responded to her and he sent her four really important moves that she needed to know. And overall, um, she says that she's gotten advice from a lot of different gamers, um, you know, ranging from how to stay composed during like tournament matches to how to, you know, approach better matchups in general. And she really emphasizes in the interview that even though she gets advice from all these other players and that she's reached out and really tried to learn as much as she can, she says, no one holds my hand during this. I simply take the advice I've gotten and use it in a way that benefits me. And I love that. <laughs> I love that. No one holds her hand. Like, she's, she's a badass. Um, so Red Bull... Did a great piece on Cuddlecore a couple years ago. Um, they talked about they talked with her um, kind of about her early tournament experiences. Mm -hmm. It says her improvement as a competitor led her to local FGC tournaments where she gained the experience that allowed her to shine at majors. And gradually moving through the ranks from regional competitions to major events, she got to see her status rise. She um, she actually recollects to them, every time I would go, I would place better and better each and every time, getting top 16s, then top 8s, and even getting a top 3 once at a bigger regional event and once at a major. So she's like enjoying it. She's in it. Um, and in 2013, um, before like she was winning sort of all these tournaments, um, she went to school. And she came home from her first year at uh, Queens Institute of Art in Ohio. And she said that it was just unfortunately too expensive for her to keep up. So she moved back home and she started attending uh, junior college in her hometown. And the thing is like, she's a really talented artist. Like I've seen her artwork online. She's, she's got such great attention to detail in her, photo, in her um, images. Um, and having watched people in her family as a young child paint, it kind of um, inspired her to become a, um, an artist herself. Mm -hmm. So art is something that she's really passionate about. And you know, while she was prioritizing school, she was also still competing at the same time. She tells Jinx TV, I created a lot of art in college. I was in college for six years. Uh, so I would game in college, but not as much as I do now. And during those six years, though, I was also competing. I was still being flown out to events during school breaks. And she tells Top Tier Born Free that moving home meant not having as many friends who lived near her anymore. And she wasn't into hanging out with her high school friends. So she decided to hit up she the came. FGC. Yeah. So she went on Facebook, found a local group page, met a couple guys online, and they all started to go to tournaments together. And to this day those guys are still some of her best friends. That's kind so, of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to be really upset at the American system for, for like putting her in that situation where 
she couldn't couldn't afford to go to school anymore yeah. and she had to go back home. And then yeah. it led her to meet like the, the this group of guy. So now I'm like, well, maybe not everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I'm still a little bit upset. I know. I agree with I'm that. I'm looking like, at you, you know, America. The fact that she couldn't, you know, it's just silly that people can't afford education, like that we aren't providing that in some way, shape, or form, honestly. Yeah. Everyone should get higher education. And, you know, it yep. seems like at her junior college, she was able to still get her, at least, you know, yeah. schooling done and, and at the same time still find this, like, really accepting group of players in the game that she yeah. likes. So, yeah, I agree with you. That's, like, a really cool... Thing. And she says that watching her friends succeed in Tekken is what encouraged her to actually compete on, on the next level. She said beyond local tournaments, she started to see her friends getting to travel and doing well on it. So she tells Disrupt Gaming FGC um, in an interview that she went to her first real tournament final round in 2015 and calls it her breakout moment. And it's something um, that will definitely come back a little bit later in the story. Um, Cuddle played against Mr. Naps. And Mr. Naps is also known as Jimmy J. Tran. And he is like the best Tekken player in America. He's he's known as this. He's People know that he is one of the okay. best. So is his brother. Okay. She's playing... Mr. Naps and one of the best Tekken players ever and Cuddle gets him into a final game, final round. And although she lost, she says it was in that moment that she knew I can take down some of the best people. If I train, I can be on that level too. So playing against Jimmy J. Tran inspired her to be an even better competitor. Um, so after that, she starts going to tons of tournaments every year, all the time, and performs pretty consistently on national levels at tournaments like Combo Breaker, which is a big FGC tournament, where she saw top 16s, top 8s. She took fourth in the Canada Cup and claims her proudest moment in that Born Free interview was when she went to Amsterdam in 2018 at the Tekken World Tour Finals last, call, uh, last chance qualifier tournament names. Tekken <laughs> World Tour Finals 2018 Last Chance Qualifier. Okay. Say that like 10 times fast. Yeah, yeah. She placed fourth place there. And um, she said she attributes it to the fact that she was like, I was just doing it on my own. She got so much love from the audience there. The audience just totally supported her. And she wasn't used to this kind of attention. No one had ever got super excited at her win like this before. She hadn't like had fans or whatnot. Um, and when she got eliminated and took fourth, the audience was cheering for her to come back on stage, which was a whole new experience for her to be celebrated like this. Oh, and she says that seeing a whole room full of people being so supportive of a black woman made her feel really, really good. And she felt shocked. That was in 2018? I was in 2018, yeah. Okay, okay. Wow, that's very recent. 2018 was a really big year for Cuddlecore um, uh -huh. because that was the E-League tournament too. Oh. Um, and with all of these accolades and accomplishments that she's gotten up to this point, Cuddle has always kept her cool. She's, I've, I've met her obviously and I've interviewed her a few times and she's truly just one of the most honest and earnest and thoughtful people I've met in the esports and gaming community. Um, as she said before, you know, she's been placing like top 16s in local tournaments since, you know, the beginning of her career. But she 
she just never thinks about it like that. Um, she's always in this like mind state um, where there's always someone better than her. Um, so that she always has to work harder. Um, personally, I think she just doesn't give herself enough credit. And I think she kind of knows that too. Um, at least what she deserves to get, but that's who she is. She's very humble. She's aware of all, aware of it all. She just doesn't let it get to her head. And there's something about that that's, you know, just really awesome about a person. <laughs> so I met Cuddlecore in 2018 at E-League on TBS. I was a sideline reporter and she was one of um, the 20 pro players um, that were there. And she was only one of two women that were invited to play, which I will say is more than most yeah. esports. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm already impressed they invited. Well, if you say she Dude. does like top 16s at majors and stuff, then yeah, I would have invited her, but there was yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. And shout out to uh, Christina Alejandra, actually, who was running E-League yeah. at that time um, for making that happen. She's a badass. Anyway, yeah. this tournament was called Tekken Team Takedown and remains one of my favorite esports events of all time. I got to spend a lot of time with the players because I was interviewing them. You know, they were all largely looking at the two female players, Cuddlecore and Kawhi Face Miles, who's a transgendered woman, as the weakest links. Mm. Um, and Cuddle, you know, was actually one of the four team leaders. So out of the 20 players, um, four of them were picked to be the team leaders. Um, and they picked their teams on television in a snake draft. So Cuddle was first and she got to pick the first player. And of that group of, of 16 that are now waiting to be chosen for the teams, like kickball style, is Jimmy J. Tran. Mr. Naps, the guy that she had her breakout moment with, and he was there and she knows that he's like one of the best players in the world. So she immediately picked him as her first pick. So it goes down the line in the, in, you know, the snake. And then like the person who's the last picks twice and it comes back and it does like until all of the players are picked. And the very last player gets put on Cuddlecore's team because of the way this, the draft goes, if this makes sense. It's, it's I'm, I'm doing snake images with my hand for those yeah. of you who are listening. <laughs> like, here's the snake and you draft. you know what, guys? I've Don't been you shaking my head the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I get it. For the yeah, last yeah. hours, <laughs> for those who are listening. <laughs> yeah, yes. I. This is an amazing. I've never called it the snake draft, and I love snake it. Snake draft. The very last person to be to be picked for like the team um, was Kawhi Face Miles, and that person because Cuddlecore had the first choice, she also gets to have the last person picked on her team. So it seems as five, if I can do Matt. Yeah, so there's okay, uh, four teams of five. Okay. Um, so the two women and the best player in the world are on the same team, <laughs> and the way they did it. So now you've got the four teams, right? So each of the four captains played against the other to figure out who they would face off against. Okay. So the teams get set and it's team Cuddlecore first versus uh, team Anakin. And Anakin is this guy who's like an Atlanta guy. And by the way, E-League is shot uh, at Turner TBS, which is in Atlanta. Yeah. So Atlanta has like a crazy representation for the FGC. Like there's a ton of fighting game guys that are there and who are from there. So Anakin, he's like sponsored by Red Bull at this point. He's like, he's one of the most ruthless competitors on the scene. The thing is like, there's all of this um, back and forth between all, you know, I'm interviewing people, right? So um, I'm asking people like what they think about the team and you know, if who who's the weakest link and whatever. And they're all saying team Cuddlecore. Like 
They have no problem just coming out and being like, they're the weakest. We're going to take them out. They're no good. They're trash. Like they're not nice about it either. You know, it's just very <laughs> smack talk in your face. I loved it. And when I interviewed Mr. Naps, Jimmy J. Tran, about his team, he says to me, the team itself is not really the best team. And then there was like this pause. And I was like, oh, that did not sound very nice. And the audience freaked out. And then he says, but I think we can make it work if we play our matchups right. So he admits like this wasn't the ideal team. There was just drama at the tournament because of that. They played that clip for everyone and Cuddle has to see it and sit there and watch it. Like that's crazy psychological stuff that's happening that you have to deal with as a competitor, knowing that your teammate is actively saying that they don't really believe in your chance of winning. And so when I asked her about the drama, she just says, she doesn't disagree with him, but she says, it doesn't mean that I don't have faith in my team. I still think we can pull it off. People shouldn't underestimate others and we're gonna prove Jimmy wrong. And she went and sat down right next to him. <laughs> and people were like, oh, you know. So, um, so now we've got team Anakin versus team Cuddlecore. They got, they each have a player drop out. So th the way it works is in like, it's kind of works as like a tag thing. So you've got 5v5, You she as the team captain decides to send one player up to fight. And uh, Anakin's team sends one player up to fight. They play their rounds. Whoever gets knocked out is knocked out for good. And you do that until all five of the players on one of the teams mm -hmm. is knocked out for good. As it starts, one of the members of Cuddlecore's team knocks out Anakin, and then one of Anakin's team knocks out Cuddlecore. Anakin was actually put himself to uh, the game. So he's playing, and Cuddlecore now has to decide, who am I going to put in to play against him? And like all of the analysts, you know, there's like Rip and Tasty Steve and Sajam and Richard Lewis was hosting. Everyone was like, what are they going to do? She's got to put in Mr. Naps. She's got to get this win. Of course, she's going to put him in. So I go up and I interview her and she doesn't put him in. She puts herself in and everyone's like, what? Like, you're the weakest link though. Why are you doing that? So she goes up against Anakin, one of like the best players on the scene. And in her first game, she beat him three straight rounds. And then in game two, she beat him in another three straight rounds. And everyone was stunned because she just took out the most dominant player, one of the most dominant players in the country in six straight rounds, but she wasn't done. Rip, one of the commentators, actually writes about it um, on eLeague.com and just talks about how like she just goes on to eliminate the rest of his team. She bodied four of them in a row and took out Anakin, Obscure, Joey Fury, and Spirogen all in a row. They all fell to cuddle as she pushed her team closer to the grand finals without any need from Jimmy J. J Tran. It was cool. Wait, like, it is so, I, what? So like, yeah. how, did you ever interview her about that moment? Why oh, yeah. did she put herself in? Yeah, she just, well, what she says, and it comes up later, is that you save your best for last. So while a lot of people kind of thought like, oh, Cuddle is being shady toward Jimmy J. Tran. Like, she just didn't like that he called her weak. She's saying, I don't disagree with him, but I can prove myself. I know my worth as a player. I know that I've beaten Jimmy before. I know that I've beaten other of these guys before. I know I can do it. And I'm going to save Jimmy J. Tran 
for that emergency in case I lose, because I know I can count on him to pick up the win. So she's looked at that as like a, just okay. a strategy. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I thought, I think it was a pretty smart strategy because everyone was like, where, you know, is she gonna play Jimmy? You know, what's going on? And the audience is going crazy. You know, everyone's like the Twitch drama is like at an all time high. People are like, you know, they can't believe she's she took out, you know, four members of his team. The next, uh, the other teams play and uh, the one that advances is team Poke Chop. And Poke Chop is one of the team captains and he's like this Atlanta uh, Tekken dude who's known as the mouth of the South. They did like this whole like package <laughs> of him. He's so funny. He is the craziest, you know, player. He's older, he's been on the scene for a long time, like long, long time. He's a veteran. And he was talk. He talks more trash than like anybody I've ever met. He is just talking trash about her, just being like, "You're never gonna win. You're never gonna win." So it's his team versus her team. Thing is about it, we don't have to get into all the details. But so that's the, thing the final. Is about it, the final, the grand okay. finals is her team versus his team, and four of her five players get taken out, and he still has four players left. So okay. it's just four players versus the one, and it's Jimmy J. Tran who is on the bench, and she's like this was the moment that I was waiting for to pull him in. So she knew that he could like finish it off for the team. And in a crazy run, um, leaving him taking out the remaining four players on team poke chop, he did. And they took their, they took the W for the win of um, Tekken team takedown. It was unbelievable. It was exactly the opposite of what everybody thought was going to happen. Um, I interviewed her um, on stage afterwards and she was so overwhelmed with emotion. I was too. I ended up crying. Like it was just <laughs> because she, she was so moved by how excited everybody was and just like proud of the fact that she, you know, went beyond everyone's expectations. Um, that she started to cry and she said something to the effect of, and I couldn't find the exact interview, but she said something to the effect of, I just want the world to know that a woman can play Tekken. And it was, awesome like there were it, it was just a really great moment for women in gaming in general and I will tell you it's not like the news media like covered it like it's not like this was in Polygon or Kotaku or something where a lot of these publications um do like to kind of while they're all good publications and I read them um there are times where I feel like they focus on the negative aspects of the industry more than when we actually have our successes. So like for her, this was a success. This was a moment to say, look, this person won this Tekken tournament, not only that on television, not only that it was a fighting game, which doesn't get as many, you know, as much love as other esports. On top of that, it was a black woman who won. Um, and there really just was not any, you know, celebration outside of like more of the niche FGC publications out there and like the interviews, you know, the grassroots reporters and journalists of um, Tekken, you know, on the scene, like interviewing her. But other than that, a lot of people didn't really know about it. I was so hype. I was telling everybody. It was like the biggest loud mouth about it, like telling literally everyone going like, you got to know who this girl yeah, is. Yeah, that's how so I learned about it. <laughs> yeah, I was a loud mouth. No, she, um, she must get sick of me talking about her. I'm always like, Cuddlecore, I love you. Yeah, I think She's, that we talked about her for the first time, maybe like six months ago. So to be quite frank, I, I would have never heard about it if it wasn't from yeah. you. And so that really sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that really more, sucks. 
we need more um, focus on when there are wins and to celebrate when there are so that people know who their role models are looking up to this. And like, she's one of the very few female pro gamers, not to mention black female pro gamers. And she is blazing a trail for women like her to follow. And she's got such a great outlook about everything in general. Um, But it hasn't been without its frustrations, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, She tells, uh, and I'm going to probably mess this name up, Juane Ben, Juane Bene, in a player profile um, on this woman's YouTube channel, said, people have a hard time accepting that I can take out top players. Because they don't see it often, they'd rather assume it's fake. But it's very, very real. I've been doing it for a few years now. I think the sooner people realize that women can do these things, the quicker we can let other types of people come into the community without the harsh criticizing demeanor. After she won E-League, there were all these like people con- you know, in the FGC conspiring with her uh, against her online saying that like Anakin purposely threw the match so that a woman could win, blah, blah, blah. Like just ridiculous things that no competitor would do. Um, especially that many competitors in that on like that big of a stage, like it's just not happening. She's she's aware of this, and she learned to like grow a thick skin. In that one um, WSOE profile that I talked about earlier, um, she says that as a black woman in gaming, women would come up to her, especially women of color, and they would talk to her about how she inspired them to go out there and compete. You know, like there's not very many role models in this community. And even with their fears of maybe being judged by the other men in the community because they see someone like me succeeding, it gives them the strength to do that as well. And she also says, I didn't know that my color would play such a huge role in how I impact others, but it does. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to help women not feel so afraid of who they are and instead to just be the best that they can be. And I really like her outlook um, on feminism and being a competitor in the scene because something she says a lot was, I'm not competing against other women. I'm not trying to be, quote, like the best woman. I'm trying to be the best player. So my, I'm not looking to beat other women specifically. Like I'm not in that competition or headspace. And I, I like that about her because I think it really, you know, opens her up to be supportive for so many other people um, and women especially. But uh, she, a couple of things about her, like right now, she's got a documentary uh, that she's being featured in called For the Win. They interviewed me for it, actually. So I don't know when it's coming out or any information on that. I'm sure she'll talk more about it, but that's coming out on her. Um, she said that she just finished a collaboration with uh, Band- Bandai Namco uh, teaching beginners about Tekken 7. Aww. So she's doing coaching and training. She's going to be a part of a pro 5v5 that her team Equinox Gaming is holding on December 12th. She's oh, she's just on Equinox? That's awesome. Yeah. And she's, you know, just continuing to make content uh, that teaches and entertains and talks to her community um, on YouTube and Twitch. And the topic is usually about fighting games, but she does talk about like, you know, events going on in the world and whatnot. Last month, she was actually the final boss for this Tekken 7 online challenge in the Midwest. And so she said that was really cool to be a part of. And this month she won the Bud Light Beer League Tekken 7 East Coast Tournament. I actually did coverage for that last year because uh, I had a Bud Light show for two seasons. And so we were covering the Tekken 7 coverage uh, of the Bud Light Beer League. So it's really cool that she won that. And she got fourth in the finals. She competed in the WSOE East Tournament too and placed second in September. Um, She's got a podcast that she's running with her best friend named Alicia Junis called FGC Woke. That's (laughs) going to be coming back soon. 
And yeah, you guys can hit her she's up. She's everywhere. Her. That's awesome. She's, I'm she's looking so at her cool. uh, at her Twitter right now. Aww. What's her Twitter handle? Is it just Cuddlecore? Cuddle Cuddle underscore core. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to Definitely see when her. she joined Equinox. Yeah, it's run by a woman, uh, right? Equinox. It is. Yeah, from what I was reading, I don't know a whole lot about their team though. It does seem like it's, there's it's a Emily. Lot of women yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Emily's um, fighting game team. Who's Emily? Tell me. Nyx Rose. So go on your Twitter right now. It's at okay. NYX Rose. And she founded Equinox Gaming a couple years ago. And I didn't realize it was the same team as Cobblecore. That's awesome. I'm so proud of this. Uh, let me yeah. drop it to you. Just Emily, case. I see her. Okay, okay, great. Oh, so, yeah. Wow, that's so awesome. Yeah, I think um, I'm really excited about about what this group of female competitors at this age are doing. It's it's just like I said earlier, like we've got so many amazing women in this industry, but it's also really nice to see women who are in their like early and mid twenties also lifting everyone else up yeah. with them. There's something just really special about it. And I just, I'm really proud of that group of girls. They inspire me a lot. And, um, I'm just excited for her. I'm excited to see yeah. what she does next. She's still doing art and whatnot. Um, and she's, oh, one little thing too. She'll love that I say this. She has my favorite um, quarantine internet romance. Um, she, she started tweeting at um, an FGC player named Scar, who I actually interviewed one time on my Bleacher Reports show. And he's like the nicest guy. And she started tweeting at him and it was kind of like flirty and everyone could see it. And he was kind of like flirting back. It just kind of went for like a couple of weeks. And then people were writing like, so what's going on with this? Are you guys like, <laughs> no way. people were totally involved. And he's like so cute and supportive of her. And like, it's just, it's just awesome. So anyway, they're like this cute little FGC couple. <laughs> run in the scene. That's awesome. I have no yeah. idea. That's really cute. Aww. So that's my story on Cuddlecore. Um, make sure you guys follow her and um, all that good stuff. Yeah. Because Keep of gaming, Cuddlecore discovered her passion for competition and became one of the best second player in the world and one of the first women to win a national event in fighting games and just games in in general on national tv she's probably the first yeah how cool is that <laughs> more there people should be covering her i'm just telling you now any <laughs> media outlets listening do profiles on this girl she knows what's up so anyway thank you for listening to this week's episode of the game diaries please subscribe and uh listen to wherever you get your podcasts or watch um on youtube because we're on there too we are on the YouTube, and if you like this, please leave us a review, a star, a comment, wherever you're following us, because it does help us. Each little comment and little star helps. And if you have a story that you like to share about how video games impacted your life, make sure you submit it, because we read them every episode. Please visit thegamediaries.com to submit your love letter to gaming. Yay! See you next See time. See you next week. Bye.